This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I want to ask about international students here, and I think it comes down to this. And I say this and ask this because we were talking about a story, international students in Canada living inside a tent on the side of a road. This is awful. The headline is awful. If I put any other country from A to Z in instead of Canada, you'd be like, what a disgusting country. Are we disgusting? I'd like to think not. I'd like to think we're proud Canadians. But international students in Canada living inside a tent on the side of the road isn't happening by accident. It's not. So I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to give you some data on this to back this up. I'm going to ask you if you think it's a college's responsibility or a university university's responsibility to provide access to housing. Not the housing itself, access to housing. I think there's a responsibility here among community colleges and, yeah, to some extent, universities. But the college numbers are what ha- are what absolutely has inflated this. When I tell you, you want to pick a college, let's play a game here. And India is the country, and I'm going to defend the students. I'm going to. De- this isn't about the country of India, the people from India. It's not about that at all. Conestoga College, I know exactly where that is in Kitchener. You drive past it all the time when you go to London on the 401. I'm going to drive past it tomorrow in the morning to go to London to see my mother-in-law and my parents. Conestoga College this year has 39% Canadian-born students. 50% of the students at Conestoga right now, today, 50% are from India. Does that see, India's got a lot of people. India's got a lot of people that want to come to Canada. India's got a lot of, um, you know, comfort in coming to Canada. There's a great relationship. There's a great dichotomy. There's a rapport and a history. Should any community college have 68% of their students be from a country not from Canada? Like I'm asking. We're selling these young men and women down the river, not just without a paddle, without a damn boat. Whose fault is this? I will ask this question. We have absolutely had a scenario. I had somebody listening in North Bay, and when I pointed out all these students living in a tent by the road, and they're full-time community college students. They go to Canada or college in North Bay. As a commu- Someone writes me at 416-870-6400. As a community member of North Bay, these stories are being reported with such bias, here we go again, and are shedding a far too negative light on Canada as an organization, as well as, quote, those in the ivory tower, as you said. Many of these students have come here assuming they would find inexpensive housing. And when that didn't happen, they are blaming the school for this. This is not the school's responsibility. The availability of affordable housing apartments has been a hot subject for many years in this province. And as a person coming to this country, why would you not be securing housing before registering and confirming attendance? I get it. And you're right about much of what you write me. And thank you very much for the text message and for the and for the civil discourse and the respectful debate. But I'm going to tell you that at some point in the journey, they're getting ripped off. I've watched these documentaries. I've read these stories from legitimate news organizations, by the way, and students are being sold something that isn't true and they don't know any better. And perhaps if we've never tasted desperate in our lives, we can't imagine what that's like. I want to go somewhere and I want want to get educated and I want to be somewhere else. And this is where I choose. And we get Canada gets chosen a lot. We were just named as the second best country to live in behind only Germany in a recent uh, survey. Okay, in a recent poll of uh, that affects all the conditions of what it means to live here.
But I'm going to tell you that do not let. You're right. They're getting ripped off sometimes at the point of origin. But do not let these Ontario colleges skate here. There's something going on. And we know that there is. How can 50% of Conestoga students be born in India? Lambton College in Sarnia, 74% of students are born in India, 18% in Canada, and 8% in other international countries. What's the, what's the relation? What's the pipeline? And let's make this clear. There's no argument that involves racism, xenophobia, ethnocentrism, any of it. This is just about raw numbers and people getting sold a life that doesn't exist the second they arrive here. I bet you there's cases where people don't do their due diligence, and I bet you there's cases where they don't do their homework, and you might say, well, I would, and I might say, well, you would. But something's going on, and we know that there is. Anthony, go right ahead. Thanks for call. How are you doing? Good morning, Greg. Morning. Right on the nail. I couldn't agree with you 1,000%. Listen, I live in Mississauga, and I see it going. It goes from all levels. I've seen some of the students go to community colleges and a lot of the private schools are charging them astronomical amount of money for courses. It's ridiculous. My wife works with a lot of the students as well. Yeah. And they're they're milking them. This is modern day slavery. And you know what, Greg? It starts from exactly where the students are coming from. A lot of them sell them pipe dream. You can come here, go to school and get a great job. But, there's nothing available. Housing is a problem. Why are, you, why are there so many students and there are no housing? It's not the university or college's responsibility. No, but, but I think you're right. But there's, is there not a, an incumbent responsibility to shut this pipeline down? They know what's happening and that the cash is too good. Their, their bottom line gets affected if they cut off and have a cap. There's not even a cap on, on student, on, on, the, on not just the student fees, Anthony, but there's not even a cap on the admissions. And there should be. That's right. It's all about greed. You're absolutely right. They got to turn the pipe off. It's too much. It's going to eventually, I'm glad you brought this up. It's got to come to an end eventually. It's, it's coming. It's even the public school is happening. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, David, thanks very much for the phone call. You're an instructor at Lamb at, La- at Lambton College in Sarnia, or where are you? Uh, actually, yeah, in, in Sarnia. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we have a lot of international students, and uh, I would say it's probably closer to 90%. Um, so 90% international, 10% born in Canada. And and that's and that's even being generous, right? But what I would what I would say is that the the tuition that these students pay upwards to nine thousand dollars a semester, and you know it, it's it's sad because what's a Canadian student pay? It's about about seven six and a half, no, probably about four. I mean, I I went to Fanshawe College after Western. I might have paid thirty two hundred a year, but that's twenty years ago. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it really depends on the program. Um, but yeah, and the, the thing is, is there's policies inside of some of these schools as well that if a student misses a certain number of classes, they automatically fail. So it's, you know, it's almost, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good system. How's it changed Sarnia? Uh, well, you just see a lot more students. Uh, you see, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, like, it's where do they all live though? Well, some of them will live in rental and basements. Uh, some of them will literally be in uh, basement apartments and two, three, four people per basement. So they're living in, you know, in very cramped accommodations. And then in order to pay the tuition, they're working, you know, how many hours per day they're coming to class on two, three hours sleep. 
Yeah, I mean, look, thank you, thank you very much for the phone call, David. I'm going to also keep your number because I, I, I'm glad you called. And oftentimes, it's a difficult thing to talk about your um, employer. It is, and and I, I understand you, you did it in a very measured way, in a very respectful way. But you're just laying out what you see. You're not crapping on them. You're saying this is what I see at at the school that employs me, and it's a fair statement. Uh, Debbie, thanks very much for the phone call. You go ahead. Who's to blame here for this situation, Debbie? Um. I, I think um, I think um, to blame, I would think the schools, they have a responsibility. You just can't gather all the money from these people who don't know where to find accommodation or, like you said, you know, six people in a basement apartment with mold and that. I saw something on the news about that, and this one church lady uh, took in one of the Indian students and got him out of there. They have a responsibility to tell them where to go. It's like us being redirected or being transferred to the states or to Europe. We don't know where to go. So you have people that do this for you. They're just they're just grabbing it. I mean, even in Quebec. Quebec pays like, you know, they're yeah. throwing it in our face. They have their tuition is like three grand. Meanwhile, somebody at U of T is paying um eight to ten. Like it's happening in our own country, never mind international students that are tripling the amount. I mean, it's just not right. You have to do the right thing in life. You know, these kids, like they're coming from such a far place to get, to get to where they are. And my daughter went to university. She could not work. Her, her, her um, things were so heavy at Toronto that she, could, she couldn't work part-time. So yeah, I've never yeah. students that are tripled in their thing. It's just really sad. I think they have to stand up and stop collecting all the cash bags. It's awful. And again... I can't tell what it is. I'm so glad you made that call, Debbie. I can't tell if it's about the money or it's about a, a whisper, whisper, hush, hush conversation about immigration. Nobody's saying, you know, send all the international students back to where they came from. But I don't want kids here that, that have no chance to survive. I Like, they're in a tent at the side of the road and they're full-time students. How do you go to work if you're the president of that college knowing that? How, how do you sleep? I have no clue. I have no clue. And he might say or she might say, hey, if we do this, then jobs are at stake. I got you. But when does it stop? What's enough? How do they and they have money because they afforded the high international tuition rates in the first place. But where are they supposed to be when they get here and they can't find housing? And it's sometimes not for cost. It's just for demand. So you live where you're going to live unless you're, you know, miles away. Mario, thanks very much for the phone call. I appreciate it. You go right ahead. Well, I, I think, first of all, my comment is this is wrong at, at so many levels. I mean, when you sit down and you look at what's happening, I think this is indicative of, of a bigger bigger issue, and that's immigration. But to have these people come to this country without a plan is inexcusable, and with lack of humanistic consideration, we should be all we should all be standing up and saying something about it. I yeah. mean, I... I when 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 people become disposable commodities in a pond of, of political games, you you got to wonder where our society has gone. I, you know, when we I've I've heard some of your comments about the colleges not having to have responsibilities and so on and so forth. But here's the deal: it's so easy to figure this out at the college level when it comes to admission. Pretty simple. Here's the available housing in the community. Here's the number of students that are coming in here that need it. It's a pretty simple mathematical equation. I've got 50 people coming in, but I've only got 30 houses available in the community. I've got to reject 20 of them instead of making these empty promises and using people 
as a disposable commodity. Right? I hear I, I hear that loud and clear, and that's a really fair comment. And I'll tell you something. Um, I don't have time to get to any more calls, but thank you so much for the passion on this. And we're gonna we're gonna establish more conversations like it at, at, as the fall continues. Um, there's people making the case. I can't stand putting people in boxes. You know that. I don't like saying this group of people thinks this. This group of people thinks that. This politician's popular among blank voters because everybody's different. I don't doubt there's some students. Some of you are making the case, and it comes from I think an honest place of integrity some of this is about becoming permanent residents and i get it if you told me i want to live in england like you couldn't believe in the mid 90s if you told me i could come to school make my way through a couple years and then all of a sudden england's gonna offer me a work visa the rest of my life and offer me citizenship or permanent residency i'm in i'd have done it but i don't think students coming here are quite that savvy at 18 19 they're getting sold on an education they're getting sold on a new way of life outside of, of of where they were and it's it doesn't exist it's not even that they can't attain it or only a few can it doesn't exist it doesn't evaporate it doesn't exist when they actually arrive this is toronto today with greg brady toronto's news today's talk Six forty, toronto and what a topsy weird week as well with labor day different start times for schools and whatnot and, uh, and then we get this. Last night, there was an OSSTF town hall meeting. High school teachers I know were logging on uh, just after dinner time or while they were eating their dinner as well. And they had a member town hall to talk about where things are going to go with the potential for an agreement. We had Stephen Lecce on the show yesterday. The education minister said there is a tentative deal between the OSSTF and, uh, and, and the government. Um, let's get the latest on this because there's a lot of stuff sort of out in the airspace. And we're very pleased Karen Littlewood, president of the OSSTF, is giving us some time. W- welcome to the first week of, uh, of the school year and uh, welcome to the, you know, the busiest week you've had in several weeks, I bet, as a result. Yeah, no, thanks, Greg, for having me on. Uh, congratulations to all the people in education for getting through this first week. It, it's only with four, four days because of Labor Day. It felt like about 15. I so. bet it did. And and really, really hot days uh, as well. I'm going to get to the labor oh, yeah. labor talks for sure. But I know there was a lot of talk about air conditioning um, in, in certain schools. And I, I don't know that it's realistic to put air conditioning in all schools. But but even the education minister documented that we, we've, we can do better with air conditioning and air filtration in some schools and we need to no for sure there's a, about a 17 billion dollar school repair backlog some of that would cover air conditioning we've got to make sure that students are in a safe learning environment but also that the workers are in a safe working environment and this week has been very challenging for many people and quite frankly with climate change i don't think our years are going to get cooler in mm. fact i think the heat waves are going to extend more into the school days yeah and if we yeah if we don't alter the school calendar and and we keep it as it is and it's september through june um, though August was mild, you're going to feel, I know there were classrooms, my own kids school, they took the class down to the library. So if the library is one of the biggest air conditioned rooms there is, um, you're, you're, you're teaching lessons in the library, N- not ideal. It's not how it's supposed to go. No, and there was a lot of creative thinking going on, people <laughs> trying to figure out how to reorganize the day to make sure that they're still delivering the curriculum that they need to, but trying to find an alternate location, which might be a little bit cooler. So congrats on getting through that, everybody. I think next week is going to be a little bit cooler. Okay, you had a Zoom meeting last night uh, for OSSTF, so you know there's a lot out there. What's accurate? What's sort of speculation right now? Uh, and do we have a fracture between the Toronto OSSTF teachers and the rest of the province? Well, I'm glad to hear you point that out because your lead-in for this uh, scared me a little bit. Yeah, We have um, a bargaining unit in Toronto of teachers where the executive 
put out a message yesterday to their members, as they are, are able to do, saying we don't support this proposal going forward. A lot of it stems back to the issues with the minister continually saying we have a tentative deal. We do not have a tentative deal. What we have is the ability to move bargaining when 14 months at the table haven't done anything because the government hasn't been bringing anything to the table. And if we're unable to reach a deal by the end of October, then an arbitrator, uh, another adult in the room, will be there to help decide. And I think um, our town hall last night and the comments during and after, lots of questions. I'm encouraging our members to get as much information as possible. But really what we want is to keep kids in school and to keep our workers working. And you wanted the binding arbitration. You yourself as president, you thought we can make more progress with with knowing this is the pathway will go down at the end of things. Was it disappointing that there's a group that doesn't want it after you convinced them it was a good idea? You always know that there's going to be some people who Mm -hmm. will oppose it, and that's fine. This is a democracy. Um, There is no process in place at OSSTF for this voluntary binding interest arbitration. It's something that we're trying because of where we are right now in Ontario with a Greenbelt scandal that's made a government who's desperate for some good news. So we're trying to take that opportunity to seize the day and to say, let's get things moving. And I have to tell you, Greg, yesterday we were bargaining and there was a different tone at the table. So if that's the kind of pressure that the government needs to make sure that they're funding and taking care of education, that's okay with me because I want to make sure that my members are also covered. Can you describe that different tone? Well, I can't describe any specifics, but uh, let's just say there there was a little bit of movement, and that's really reassuring mm-hmm. to me. Uh, we will continue to be at the table. We have five days in September. I think we have six, day, six days in October, but we're all able to open up our calendar if the government would like to meet more. So we're, we're doing everything we can to make sure that we're going to have a positive outcome for the teachers and education workers across Ontario. Karen Littlewood's our guest, OSSTF president, joining us on Toronto Today. So a vote happens today, and is the vote as, as simple as um, you're voting on what's there and voting on using this uh, binding arbitration, and another vote later in the month as well. So you're giving you're giving two two voting dates to your block? No, actually, we're, we're giving a, a number of days. It's starting today and mm-hmm. it closes on September 27th. So they have that whole open period to listen to town halls. We're doing local meetings. We are having face-to-face meetings and talking to our members, answering all of their questions. They can vote during that time period. I hope people are going to wait until they've heard a couple of presentations before they made up, made up their mind and they vote. But they have that time period in which to vote, and then we will see the results and decide the, the path forward. If the members of OSSTF say, not for us, this is really not what we want, then we continue on that more traditional pathway that could include job action, including a strike vote in order to do that. Well, I was going to say, that was my next question, what leads us to a strike vote? And you hope it doesn't get there. Every parent listening hopes it doesn't get there. But is that is it as simple as rejecting the concept of binding arbitration via these votes? And and then, then basically the people have spoken, the members have spoken, and a strike vote's more likely? Yeah, well, what I hope is that we're able to address many of the issues mm-hmm. we haven't been able to do at the table. So if our members say, 
we don't think this is going to help and we'd rather go the traditional route, I would hope we would have an incredibly high strike vote, but it doesn't have to come to that. We could have had a deal months ago. It has nothing to do with the number of bargaining dates. It has to do with a mandate from the government saying we respect and value education and we're we're willing to invest in education and deal with some of the shortages. I don't know, ask your friends. How many supply teachers, occasional teachers, how many educational assistants weren't there this week for many reasons and there was nobody to replace them? That's the challenge in Ontario right now. When you see, I know you follow uh, the media really closely, and by the way, we're going to get some stuff wrong sometimes, and we hope we can correct it as soon as possible, but when you see the phrase, Karen, teacher shortage, do we have one in Ontario? <laughs> we don't have a teacher shortage. We have 40,000 teachers in Ontario who are fully qualified, but choosing to not work in, on, in education. These are stats from the Ontario College of Teachers. We don't have a teacher shortage. We have a shortage of good jobs. We have a shortage of respect for education. We have a shortage of investment in education. And so many people who are fully qualified have decided, I'm going to do something else. I think being able to get a deal and to have some stability and sense of security, I think that will help that. But there are other other issues we need to deal with with staffing in Ontario. Where do you stand on the idea? And I'm dating myself here. The idea of getting a bachelor of education was something um, when I went to school and if I'd considered it, you do in 12 straight months. Now it's a two year process. Is there any benefit to, to moving back, especially with tough economic times and saying you may not be able to not work full time for two years and dive right in? This isn't something you can just do in your spare time or in the evening if you're going to get an education degree. Would we consider shortening the amount of time it takes to qualify uh, for that degree? Yeah, so that was a change that was presented to us that we had no say in. Um, It absolutely plays a part, especially when we're looking at specialist teachers, like teachers of technology, of, Mm. of automotive and woodworking. They're leaving their own businesses to go to school now for two years so that they can start teaching. That's that's a really big deal for people to do. Um, but we've also got a Ministry of Education who said, hey, teachers, when you're in your second year of teacher's college, you can just go work in the classroom. Well, then do we need that second year of teacher's college or do we need to have teachers in the classroom? You nailed it. Because that, that's uh, that I got to go quick, but that's how it went. You'd go September to September. And by the time you finish that 12 month run through that summer, Next thing you know, you're you're in the classroom or you're a student teacher. You're assigned to shadow somebody. And, and that was part of the process. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. That it's, it's a problem yeah. and that would really help. But that's not on the bargaining table with us right now. But it's the type of discussions we want to have with the government to a deal with the shortage, the attraction uh, and retention issue. Karen, thanks for letting us check in with you um, and best of success and, and have a good weekend. We'll talk really soon. I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm I always sure do. We will. Yeah, thanks, Greg. All right, Karen Littlewood, OSSTF president. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I want to play you this audio if you didn't hear it yesterday, and then I want to I want to have uh, Nate Erskine-Smith react to it. But Stephanie Bowman was on the show yesterday. Um, she's one of the Liberal MPPs. She's supporting Bonnie Crombie in the race to become Ontario Liberal leader, the mayor of Mississauga. Tried to get Bonnie on to react uh, to this issue. I don't think she's done any media on it, and I noticed she hasn't talked about it on Twitter, but there's a photo of her and the um, the now um, well-known Mr. X, who's the former mayor of Clarington at a Toronto Raptors game. One of the enticing sort of things that was documented in the uh, integrity commissioner's report on the Greenbelt scandal. I asked Stephanie Bowman if Bonnie Crombie should address this photo. Yeah, you know, I haven't talked to Bonnie about that photo. I, I really don't have a lot to say about that photo. I'm supporting Bonnie because she is strong and experienced, and she's she's got a brand 
that represents transparency, ethics, compassion, and getting things done for her city of Mississauga as an MP. She has energy. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about that. When she walks into a room, there, there is energy, there is excitement. And she has a broad appeal. You know, she can, she can talk to business people. She can talk to moms. She can talk to farmers. She can talk to Bay Street folks. She has a broad appeal, and she will be able to defeat Doug Ford in 2020. Okay, so that's that's a bit of a sell from Stephanie Bowman, and she's allowed to support who she wants to. And by the way, I know if I'm John Mutton, the former mayor of Clarington, and and I've become kind of a nefarious character, if I'm not nefarious, I step out of, of the shadows and I say, here's why I'm not nefarious. If I'm running for the Ontario Liberal leadership and I'm pounding Doug Ford about the green belt and some of the developer associations, I step forward and I say, let me explain that particular photo. That's what I do. Um, let me bring on Nader Skin-Smith, Liberal MP for Beaches East York. So let me ask you, it's you, Nader Skin-Smith, at a Raptors game with John Mutton, and that picture comes out on Tuesday. And you want to be Ontario Liberal leader in the next premier. What do you do? Do you have something to say about it? I wouldn't be in a picture like that, number one. But but number two, the Greenbelt scandal is going to be an election issue in 2026. There's no question about it. And if we're going to take the fight to Doug Ford in a serious way, we need a leader who's credible on these issues, who hasn't taken $30,000 from nine employees at a single development corporation within a matter of days, who hasn't said they're open to land swaps on the Greenbelt, and so, who certainly isn't in a questionable picture with one of the central characters in that Greenbelt scandal. Now, maybe that picture is completely innocuous. And if it is, then if it were me, <laughs> I would immediately explain it. And I would say, this was in passing. I don't know this guy. We take lots of pictures as politicians, and this was one of the many pictures I, I take with many people who ask for a picture. If she was at the Raptors game with him in, in some more serious way, if there was a relationship there, then she should explain that too. Yeah, I, I, and I buy. I know that gets stuck, honestly, Nate, with uh, with Donald Trump sometimes. I take lots of pictures with lots of people. But every politician, the mayor of a town where I live, Ajax, is going to take pictures with plenty of people who would visit or somewhere where he's at a conference and whatnot. It, it's part of the profile and it's part of the gig. And you cannot research every single person's LinkedIn page or every single person's background or their views as time evolve. But that's not what this is. This is very recent. And as you as you say, it's a central character in the integrity commissioner report there's no question if if i were in a picture and the picture surfaced today as i said there's no picture of me with john mutton i didn't know who mr x was until i read all about him in the papers around the greenbelt scandal but if i were in a picture with mr x i would immediately explain it i don't want any questions around my integrity on such a central issue in the next election where integrity is doug Ford's greatest weakness and it can and should be it has to be our greatest strength. Can I make the case Steve Clark showed some integrity Monday morning on Labor Day by resigning? People asked for it. They said, you got to do it. He woke up Monday morning, probably decided a day or two before and said the drum beats are too loud. People might be right. And I'm resigning. You know, and I know that a lot of people say I like the Ford government because when they make a decision and the public doesn't like it or it goes too far, they tend to walk it back. Can you can I make that case? Have they walked it back? I mean, you have a situation here where the lands at issue, the $8.3 billion windfall benefit to friends of this Ford government, those benefits are still being handed over. The process was incredibly problematic. And we're, we're now going to see a, a bit of a review, I guess, although I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine we're going to see a different outcome. 
And yeah, when we think about Minister Clark, I think there is some integrity to resigning in that position. It came way too late. Uh, he obviously resigned because the political pressure was too loud, as opposed to doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do. So, you know, I still have some skepticism there, but but it, it is an important thing. It's the right thing to do to resign in those circumstances where he oversaw an improper process that benefited friends of the Ford government in, in an incre- incredibly improper way. Uh, but, but the buck stops mm-hmm. with Ford. And I say that not because I'm saying it, because he has said it. And so mm-hmm. what does that mean? There should be real accountability in the premier's office. Nate Erskine Smith, our guest on Toronto Today. He's Beaches East York MP. I've been there since 2015, and he's running for the Ontario Liberal leadership. You've talked about it, and we've talked about it on this show. You've traveled this province, and you've realized, especially in rural areas, smaller towns, there's appeal and approval of the Ontario Premier that we're talking about. But when you see poll numbers like you you see now, and you see a massive dip across the province for the Ford government from last June when they were elected in a landslide, and you see a party right now that has no leader. I mean, you want to be that leader. Other people want to be that leader. When you see the Liberals gaining ground, what's it tell you about this issue? Oh, it is causing great frustration for Ontarians all across this province. And it's not just about protecting the environment. For certain communities, this is about protecting green space, about protecting the green belt, agricultural land. That's the central issue. For other people, and, and, and rightly, it's all about integrity. And I care about integrity. I think it's the most important value in politics. I can tell you my father-in-law in the small town southwestern Ontario in Kamwaki, retired farmer, he, his handshake, his word is, is everything. I mean, if you can't make a deal on your handshake, then you don't have a reputation worth anything. And here you have a premier who said he was going to do something, protect the green belt that people have spoken. And he not only broke that promise, he broke it in a way that's going to benefit friends to the tunes of billions of dollars. And he cynically is using a real housing crisis that mm. is a deeply affecting people's lives in order to get away with it. I, I can't think of something with, with less integrity than that. You're a Torontonian, so you spotted at uh, City Hall earlier this week. Uh, the city is going to go to Queen's Park, go to Premier Ford, and ask about a sales tax. I would, I'd be for it if you could take a chunk out of the HST, but this is another tax, and you hear it from your neighbors. You would have heard it when you campaigned, even in 2021. Times are tough. Your federal government has taken a hit in the polls based on some of the issues around inflation, around housing, et cetera, et cetera. What would you do if you're in the Premier's office and the city comes to you and says, we want to put another tax on our citizens. I think the premier should be open to new revenue tools, but we should be very careful about who those revenue tools are impacting. And when you've got the mayor and council, they're looking at a higher tax for homes over 2 million, 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, $20 million. Okay. Yeah. If you've got a $4 million home, you you can probably pay a little bit more, but if you're earning $40,000, should you be paying additional taxes by way of sales taxes? Mm. No. The answer is no. We, 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 we can't be imposing greater hardship, especially when people are already struggling to get by. And, you know, there's a way to address the regressive nature of consumption taxes. Uh, there's a way to have rebates, that, but, it, but the city's not well-placed mm. to do that. And so, no, I, I don't think that's the appropriate revenue tool at the municipal level. I know you and the other four candidates busy signing members up September 11th, 6 p.m. Next Monday is the deadline. Debates will start. Those will be fascinating. There's energy behind the, this uh, this race. Thanks so much for the time today. 
Yeah, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. There's Nate Erskine-Smith joining us. Beaches, East York, MP. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Chiba Siddiqui, you saw this story about Jimmy Fallon yesterday, and so did I. And uh, wowza, this this is like like the male Ellen all of a sudden. What's with all these uh, nice guys and nice ladies? What's happening here? I don't think it's the male Ellen. It's a it's a similar situation, but he's come out really. He's attacked it front and center. He's apologized for it. And I have to say, I do think there is some misogyny involved because she, you know, people would say she might say, no, I was never canceled. But she did decide to come and make that her last season. Now, he mm-hmm. has his staff has been complaining about how he's. Uh, he's not, he's rude. He's aggressive. He's not that same happy, friendly guy that you see on the air and they've come forward with it. And I think he's taking it in stride. Well, he called a zoom meeting because they can't do shows right now. So it's really interesting, right? Because the timing of this with the writer's strike, they're not able to do shows. So Fallon, Kimmel, Colbert and, and, and Rolling Stone had done had put a lot together. They call it chaos comedy and crying rooms. Like, um, unless unless this is news to me, Gord, Rennie, yourself, you know, other people that work here, unless you guys have a, a special room you go to to cry. It's secret. You're not supposed to. the mystery. did you tell him? <laughs> no, I did not. And Gord, I love a good cry. Do, what do you, do, like, do you watch movies? Can we watch, like, like no, you know, movies with Ann? No, therapist. Like, did, did he scream at you? Did he throw a chair at you again? <laughs> I roll chairs out of the way. Sometimes there's yeah. seven chairs in here. That's the closest I get to. Th- Sheba, I don't know about you. That's the closest I get to throwing chairs. So if you have a documented uh, chair throwing moment, I, I, could be, <laughs> I could be wrong about this. But there's two. I think there's two big questions about Jimmy Fallon, and I'll get to them in a second. Here's Martin Short. Gord Rennie found this clip of Steve uh, Martin and Martin Short. Yep. That's how it goes, uh, and they don't they go around and play banjo and stuff like that they, too. They do they do a stand up routine, and they've been on this show, uh, two buildings in a room or something with uh, Selena. Happens in buildings, yeah, right. something like that with Selena Gomez. Yes, here's Martin Short <laughs> labeling Jimmy Fallon as um, many heard about him yesterday. This is the greatest show on television because there is no host in late night that pretends to care the way you do. Thank you, so much. <laughs> and I love that. And I love that so much. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you. I mean, no one captures phoniness the way you do. It's a, it's a gift. <laughs> I often find, of all the hosts, Shiva, it's one thing just to laugh. And I, th- this is the great thing about this show. You guys, if, if I if I drop like a bad line or something, you guys just leave me there. I like it. There's no fake laughter on the show. <laughs> you, you let me eat it so I don't do it again. And no matter who it is, Jimmy Fallon pounds the desk. Oh, I know. Like it's the most hilarious. He's rolling over. He's falling yes. backwards in the swivel chair. Like it's the most hilarious. Letterman yeah. would just, just look at the camera and roll his eyes. Like it it's great. TV. But that smile. had his appeal as well. That had his, Letterman had his appeal at that time as well. Yes. Just uh, not going along with the uh, the guest, whoever it was. But you're right. But Jimmy makes it him. You feel like he's your best friend. Which is why everyone was a little bit shocked mm. and taken aback that oh he's a complete jerk when the cameras are off. But does this does this make you suspicious of all superstars? I, I'm always like this. Like the two most popular athletes on the planet at one time were Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods, and guess what? It turned out they weren't the most awesome human beings ever created. Like I always say, this Shiba, nobody knows anybody. Nobody really knows anybody at the end of the day, and we think we know celebrities. We never do. Well, it's like that saying, especially in the industry that we work in, everybody has a hero. Everybody has, you have that poster on your bedroom wall when you're growing up. And then I'm sure this has happened with you with athletes. 
you meet that person and you're so deflated because that person ended up being such a jerk. So for me, there's some people I just never want to meet them because I, you know, I love them. I, you know, I admire them and I never want to know that you're a jerk in real life. Yeah. It's that phrase. Which I assume. It's, I assume that you are. I know. It's that phrase, never meet your heroes. Uh, it, it ends up being... But how can you not be, Brady? Think about it. If you had if you had unlimited financial means and everybody around you was a yes person, yes, mm-hmm. Greg, yes, this, yes, that, how can your ego... Like, I think it's inevitable that you're just going to become a jerk because no one around you is telling you the truth. Yeah. John Mulaney did that bit about Mick Jagger in his stand-up routine. He's like, uh, you know... For 50 years, he's been playing to like stadiums of of 50,000 adoring fans. So is he nice and friendly? No, he's like that. He did. He had a bad experience with Mick Jagger on Saturday Night Live once. And you're like, okay, I guess. But but it's again, you're right. You you are. Everybody is at your beck and call, like not once in a while, not for a couple days a year when it's your birthday or your anniversary or whatever. It's 24 freaking seven Sheba. You make a great point there. All right. We got to do in or out right now. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. We insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, great article in The Atlantic. And we were talking about fresh breath yesterday after the show, because we all want to have it. And I drink so much coffee, so I mentioned that I keep mouthwash in the car. I know it looks like I'm some kind of, like, serial killer or some kind of... I'm waiting for some kind of Hugh Grant moment. Gord, don't roll your eyes. And don't laugh uproariously like Jimmy Fallon at that comment. Do not do that. Stop, 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 stop. You're good at it, but don't do it. Um, Perfected it. But The Atlantic wrote how chewing gum lost its cultural cachet. And Sheba said to you, I can't stand chewing gum, but I'm not alone. Overall gum sales are down 32% from 2018, according to a leading consumer research firm. I'm out on gum. I don't like it. Where do you put it? It goes stale so fast, so fast, and I don't need it When's as a habit. When's the last time? When's the last time you I, had? A piece I haven't of bought gum? a pack of gum in like a decade. I can't stand so, it. If someone offers you a stick of gum, or you're not going to take it, I need to be able to swallow it, and that's even more gross. People that yeah, swallow that their gross. own gum. Ugh. I do that, but you know, I haven't had gum. I'm a breathman's person. I haven't had. I don't like gum. I, I like that, that better. I like that better because that's more. Pre- it's more practical for you than me walking around with a. 300 milliliter bottle of scope in my pocket and just pulling well, it out during you. conversation again <laughs> you can't swallow so, it yeah. i'm out on gum as well well Gord, before we get to you when's the last time greg that you use mouthwash that sits in your car last night okay so l- this is where i'm confused because you and your wife don't have assigned cars you guys just take whatever's oh there. we all we alternate cars quite frequently yeah small car big car what are you taking today big car small car yeah we do that you're right so do you have mouthwash in both cars? I can't remember. And <laughs> like, because that would a, be confusing. I have a bigger question. Where do you spit it? Uh, yeah. Out, well, out under the ground. So I'll tell you a very quick oh, story. Oh, those are the stains in the chorus <laughs> parking That's, lot. No, I, don't, I won't do it in the chorus parking lot. I don't. They tell you not to do certain things where you work, and but that's also another thing where you shouldn't work. Where you, I think that's a more a, a colloquialism. But last night, we're getting out of the car in Oshawa to go watch um, a, a team play soccer. Um, and and my my wife's like, you can't. like, And I'm swirling the, the mouthwash. And she's like, you can't. <laughs> 
people are going to think you're drinking in the car and you're using the mouthwash to throw off or, or throw, throw off the drinking scent. <laughs> but I just true. wanted to get rid of That's the. True. I just yeah. wanted to get rid of the burrito I ate at uh, Mucho Burrito. What's wrong with that? Gord in or out on chewing gum? In. I have car gum specifically that sits there. It's in. It's like it's I, in a little little container. I got a great bottle of peppermint listerine. Come down to the parking lot later on. We can both make our own stains on the pavement. Just need to bring in a spitting it out. spittoon or something. Yeah, I don't like chewing gum. I won't take it from people. It's. I feel like I'm being rude, but I'm just going to give it to somebody else. 